Are we there yet? The plaintive cry of restless children from the back seat on a long car ride. Having exhaust, exhausted the many forms of diversion, playing the alphabet game and the license plate game and 20 questions, reading stories to ourselves and aloud, finding and playing and even singing the favorite song of every passenger, indulging in snacks, encouraging naps, offering nonspecific and not terribly accurate messages of hope. Not far. Won't be too much longer. Still the cry, arising partly out of the anxious bubbling of anticipation, partly out of the discomfort of prolonged confinement, and partly out of sheer, overwhelming, undeniable boredom. The cry bursts forth, a wailing, a whining, are we there yet? You maybe know where I'm going with this. If we look at the ways in which we are called to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic as a journey, and the destination as a point where we return to the patterns of life we followed prior to the spread of this virus, or something, something similar to those patterns of life, then it is easy to see people, citizens of this country and of the world at large, to see all of us as the children in the back seat. We are anxious to do the things we will be able to do when we reach the destination. We are experiencing the irritations and frustrations of prolonged confinement. And from many accounts, we feel clearly, utterly, irretrievably bored, bored, bored. We were bored yesterday, last week, last month, and now we are bored again. Are we there yet? I want to stay with that question for a moment. Are we there yet? Those feeble responses we give, not far, won't be too much longer, are rarely effective in silencing the plaintive cries, not least of all because they are clearly beside the point. The specific question posed, are we there yet, is not a request for an estimated time of arrival, the number of miles to the destination, or a description of our current location relative to the trip as a whole. In fact, the specific question posed is not really a question. Rather, the answer is contained within the question. Are we there yet? No. If we were there, you wouldn't be asking the question. The fact that you are asking means that we are not there yet. Sometimes a little more wisely, we seek not to answer the question, but to address the emotions being expressed, the restlessness, the anxiety, the boredom. Maybe you could finish that book. You have some more snacks? Let's sing that song in you. Alas, these suggestions are also rarely effective. Because the question, are we there yet, as well as the statement, I am bored, these are not necessarily problems to be fixed, but simply declarative statements about an experience. 
I remember as a child sometimes giving voice to my own state of boredom in a dangerously inexact manner by saying, there's nothing to do. I learned quickly that this was a mistake, as my parents would quickly offer a great many things that could be done, mowing the lawn, vacuuming, cleaning the garage, dusting the furniture, and I realized that a more accurate description of my experience was to say, there's nothing to do that I want to do. Boredom, as described by Neil Burton in a book called Heaven and Hell, The Psychology of the Emotions, says boredom is a deeply unpleasant state of unmet arousal. We are aroused rather than despondent, but for one or more reasons, our arousal cannot be met or directed. We want to do something engaging, but find ourselves unable to do so, and more than that, are frustrated by the rising awareness of this inability. This was put even more succinctly by Leo Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, who was not generally known for his brevity. But Leo Tolstoy said, boredom is a desire for desires. A desire for desires. It's not that there is a lack of things to do or things that could be done or activities with which to engage or tasks that could be completed or new skills that could be learned or old skills that could be practiced or thoughtful actions that could be taken or entertaining diversions that could be enjoyed. It is not a lack of possibilities, but a lack of desire to pursue any of those possibilities. Following up on Tolstoy's quotation, James Dankert and John Eastwood write, Boredom is a strong desire to do something, blocked by a lack of desire to do anything that is currently possible. Now, this sometimes shows up as an increased desire to do those things that we know are not possible, but I wonder sometimes if, for myself, that is not simply a red herring. I wonder if I really desire to do those things, or if I only imagine that I do because they are not possible, as the one thing I'm sure of is that I don't wish to do any of the things that I know are possible. I wonder if I'm not simply trying to explain away the discomfort to avoid learning whatever it is that boredom might teach me. Now, honestly, I have not experienced much boredom during the pandemic. There has been much to do, and those things have engaged me fully, sometimes to the point where I wouldn't mind an opportunity to be bored. But in all seriousness, I have experienced periods of what I would call boredom throughout my life, and I recall them as less than pleasant. For me, it is at those times when I lose the desire to do those few cherished activities that I've always loved to do, that I've relied upon. Reading, for example, Reading has been a go-to activity throughout my life for relaxation, for entertainment, for education, for exploration. 
But there have been those times when suddenly I consider all the books that I have not yet read and all that are waiting for me on real or virtual or library shelves, and rather than feeling anticipation and excitement at the prospect of the vast number of unexplored pages, I feel a sort of existential despair. No particular author calls to me. No particular book speaks to me as I fruitlessly peruse first chapters. I do not even have the wherewithal to desire the books I don't yet have. At those times, I imagine myself crying out, There's nothing to read! Of course, there is plenty to read, but this is something else. It is a rather frightening abyss that opens up beneath me as I imagine, what if I lost the desire to read altogether? What would I do with my time? Who would I be? And that anxiety itself is a lesson because the first inclination is to fix it, to numb it, to escape it. And that, poet Steve Coet reminds us, is hell. Friend, I swear to you as one who has returned, if only to bear witness, no satanic furies beat their kited wings, no bats shriek overhead, there are no flames, no vats of burning oil wait to greet us in that doleful kingdom. Nothing of the sort. The gentleman who will ferry you across is all solicitude and courtesy, the river black but calm, the crossing less eventful than one might have guessed though no doubt you will think it's far too windy on the water, that the glare is awful, that you're tired, hungry, ill at ease, or that, if nothing else, the quiet is unnerving, that you need a drink, a cigarette, a cup of coffee. Neil Burton notes that people who suffer from chronic boredom are at a higher risk of developing psychological problems such as depression, overeating, and addiction. It is unfortunate, but not a surprise, that there are increases reported in all of these areas in the midst of this pandemic. We can become fixated on what we cannot control, convinced that things are not as they should be, and be led to medicate in inappropriate ways the anxiety that ensues. It is the understandable inclination to turn away from that abyss that opens up in the absence of a desire to engage with the life that is before us. But it is possible that that abyss only has power in proportion to my fear of it. Wiser people than I am have advised me to sit with it, to approach that feeling with curiosity rather than fear to the extent possible, to avoid the urge to fix it. If I misidentify boredom as having nothing to do, I will anxiously, if fruitlessly, peruse the thousands of lists of things to do when you're bored online and I will critique the many fine suggestions of possible activities from people around me because they, quote, didn't help, unquote. And I will imagine that my state of being must be due to not being able to do what I am restricted from doing 
or to not being able to be where I wish to go, or in not having the right substances or entertainment or activities that would satisfy my restlessness. Whereas if I identify boredom as something that people sometimes feel, a transitory experience that cannot be fixed, but that may have something to teach me, how would that change things? If I accepted that at this moment I do not desire to do things that are available to me, what then? If I saw that which opened up before me not as an abyss, but as a well from which I may be able to draw a refreshing drink of water, set apart from the activities that usually pull me away. I don't mean to romanticize what we are all going through or the realities of boredom and restlessness and anxiety, and I don't mean to ignore the circumstances that many are facing with medical and economic and emotional stresses set against an almost unimaginably perverse political backdrop. It is not easy to pull apart and to address each part of our lives separately as they are all mixed together. It is only to say that this peace, boredom, may not be something to cure, but to befriend, if possible, to explore. It is worth cultivating some degree of boredom, Neil Burton writes, insofar as boredom provides us with preconditions to delve more deeply into ourselves, reconnect with the rhythms of nature, and begin and complete highly focused, long and difficult work. By providing a lull in our desire for the activities available to us, a bout of boredom may allow us to cherish those activities all the more when that desire returns. For what, after all, is gratitude but a desire for what is available to us? And what is happiness but gratitude for the unlikely circumstance of this very existence we share? And in the absence of things we want to do, we may catch a glimpse of what it is to simply be. There's a story told of an aspiring Zen student going to a temple and asking how long it would take to gain enlightenment if he joined the temple, the Zen master replies, ten years. Well, how about if I work really hard and double my effort, how long would it take then? Twenty years, replied the Zen master. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. No but as challenging and uncertain and endless as it can sometimes feel, we are still journeying together, and we can enjoy the ride.